The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on world? Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Here's Sunjo Gall. About the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Today's topic is, should there be an IT leadership maturity model? And our guests for today's show are Alan Hackney, who's the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer with John Hancock Financial Services. Good morning, Alan. How are you? Uh, good morning, Sanjay. I'm uh, just fine uh, here, in the, here in beautiful Boston. Great. And is, is the life doing good? Uh, and, and is the business treating you well? Well, the business uh, the business is always uh, treating us treating us well, and uh, uh, you know Boston is uh, is such a terrific uh, tr- just such a terrific place to uh, to live and to work. Uh, so I I, uh, I I can I can say nothing but great things about the way things are going for us today. Great, and also we have Tim Cook, who is the co lead for IT officers leadership practice in the UK for Russell Reynolds. Good morning, Tim. How are you? Uh, good morning and um, good afternoon from London. Good afternoon to you. So, how's how's the lovely weather there? Is it lovely, or are you enjoying the the spring cold, uh, the, the the cool weather there? Uh, we're just uh, gearing ourselves up for the Olympics here. So the sun has come out. Um, we've got uh, about. Um, four or five months still to go, and spring is in the air. Um, still a little bit cold, and the daffodils are out, so very beautiful. Thank you. Great, great, and and I, I'm honored to have both of you on this show. Um, we picked up this topic because we always talk about uh, predictability and, and uh, uh, predictable growth patterns or maturity models and everything almost IT does at any given time. So is it all, is it at all possible? for us to bring some predictability and the, the required numbers of leaders to the marketplace, which are so so much needed today, given the speed at which business and IT are moving and you need more and more of such folks, to, to provide a framework so that we have uh, the right level and right type and right quantity of leaders uh, taking charge of what all is going on. So with that said, the question I'd like to start with um, Alan, and this is just your personal viewpoint or what you've seen others also talk about. How does one define a great IT leader? Is it someone who you feel uh, is just delivering consistently or someone who just, you know, uh, gives you totally awesome results? So I guess I'd have to say uh, yes uh, to uh, to both of those things. Uh, you, you know, when I when I think of, um, when I think of uh, great leaders and picture picture them in 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 my mind, in the you know in the IT environment, 
I'm, I'm always thinking about people who, at their core, are uh, agile and adept problem solvers, and uh, you, know, you, you know, folks who can who can readily grasp a business need or a business opportunity and translate that into uh, you know into the action that you know that that, that advances that that need, uh, but. If, if if it were if it were just that, then uh, I don't think you'd have uh, the complete picture of an IT leader. I think you know an IT leader is also uh, for many for many businesses, uh, you know, a, a bit of the machinery and a bit of the factory floor uh, for you know for companies. This is particularly true in my my opinion in uh, the services industries. And so the IT leader needs to be the, the steward of, of efficiency, uh, you know, as, as, as well. And so, uh, you know, as I, as, I, as I look at the landscape, you know, I, I find that great IT leaders are, are uh, at the very same time very focused on problem solving, uh, you, you know, connecting the dots between a business Strategy and the ultimate outcomes, uh, you know, that, that deliver the strategy. But it, but at the same time, it, it, being the steward and the conscious of the consciousness of the organization as it, as it relates to, you know, efficient, efficiently deploying its business processes and utilizing, you know, its financial and human capital to to the best advantage. So, Tim, as you go about talking to a variety of different individuals, and, and you might have placed a number of them in different companies, first question is, what is the expectation when you are asked to deliver somebody who would uh, turn out to be a rock star? And then when you do talk to people, where do you find the delta where you say, okay, this person is just going to be a, a, a reasonable fit versus this person will totally transform your organization just because of the DNA the person has and or the type of experience or faculty and or capability? Uh, those are two really good questions. I think um, as far as expectation goes, um, my own experience is that many chief executive officers, many CEOs, uh, have had a poor experience with their IT function, and therefore their um, expectations tend to be quite low of, um, of the sort of candidates that um, they're going to see in front of them. And they're very pleasantly surprised, and surprise is probably the right word, when they meet um, people who are very transformational, um, who are um, strategic, and uh, who see themselves really as trusted advisors to the business, particularly to the chief executive. Now, I don't so, think there are many of those CIOs around, and, um, you, you know, you sort of know it when you see them, and, and you know it because um, they have some great examples of how they've connected uh, with colleagues uh, at a senior level and influenced successfully internationally. Do you think the fact that you, you just mentioned that CEOs or other, other members of the executive management have rather low expectations, does that reduce the benchmark of the level of leaders we will produce and or will be able to place there uh, because uh, all that, like, you know, demand is what drives the supply and people start working towards delivering what is needed versus unnecessarily working or investing more than uh, more into pro producing a product or, or a person in this case who is going to uh, totally wow 
the executive management. So, so where is this demand and supply? Do you think you you are at par, or you are uh, flooding the market with the right type of leaders? I, I don't think that there are um, very many outstanding CIOs. I think it's probably less than ten percent of the um, CIOs out there. I would classify as being outstanding. Now, that doesn't mean that um, there aren't a lot of really very good IT directors and people running um, discrete parts of the function, for example, infrastructure and um, uh, service management and application um, delivery and so on. Um, but I think that um, uh, in terms of uh, you know, flooding the market and setting expectations, I, I think that um, it depends where the business is that this person's going into in their cycle. I mean, if the business has got a whole set of really quite profound uh, infrastructure issues or IT issues or program delivery issues, then the person coming in is probably going to have to be quite tactical and very operational to get those issues resolved quickly. Uh, if, on the other hand, they're at a, a, um, a, a sort of profound um, turning point in the organization's life, for example, many publishers uh, moving towards online, then the, the person coming in is likely to be much more transformational and they're likely to want somebody who's got a you know, broader strategic view as well as a, a, an operational delivery capability. So, so Sanjay, I, you know, if I could step in here, I, I agree 100% with what, what Tim is saying. And he's, he's in, in, in a way, using, using different words to describe uh, what, what I called the, the great IT leader a few minutes ago. Right? And, uh, you, you maybe even a, another way of thinking about it, in, in, if this is useful, is, you know, I think of a continuum of um, of skill where at one end of the continuum you have uh, what I call a fixer, you know, the the tactician that Tim just referring to that gets in and you know and and can you know uh, really dig into operational problems or efficiency problems and, you know, sort those out and, and get them straight. On the other end of the spectrum, and I think Tim was alluding to this as, as well, is what I would call a builder, you know, somebody who, you know, can, you know, can grasp a, you know, a wisp of an idea and put substance and form and, you know, ultimately bring that, you know, in, you know into an operational reality. And I think the I think you know if you if you if you accept that premise of a continuum from fixer to builder, great IT leaders that you know that that sustain themselves in in those leadership roles are able to shift their focus along that spectrum as the needs of the business ebbs and flows. And what I find is that. You know, many many leaders, many IT leaders, are skewed in one one sense or the other. There, they're they're more of a tactician fixer, and when the business need evolves to having to do something transformational or something that you know that's very creative, it's it's hard for them to make the shift. And likewise, the developers and the you know the great transformational people you know, find themselves unable to deal with practical problems. And that's, uh, you know, and that's where you see a lot of turnover in, in, in you know, in, in my way of looking at things. And that's why if you have people who can move across that spectrum, you get down to those, that very vital few, that 10% that uh, Tim was just talking about. 
Now, one is and the I, nature... I, I, I agree with um, Alan on that. I think that um, it's a very shrewd observation that the people that um, <clears throat> are really outstanding in this um, area are people who have made that transition. And I think the transition goes in, in two ways because quite often you find um, you know, an organization has evolved itself to a position where um, it's, it's right for the CIO to be engaged in strategic-level discussions about um, new markets that the um, organization can go into. But every now and then, the organization goes into um, some really quite operational or quite tactical um, phases. For example, it might have just done an acquisition or a divestment, or it might be wanting to um, uh, enter a new market. And then there is a requirement for the, for the CIO to engage in being um, pretty operational and focused. Now, if um, doing that journey from, becoming, from being a fixer to becoming a builder, the CIO has lost sight of uh, what actually happens um, at the fixing level of an organization and, and doesn't really understand anymore what good looks like or can't ask the right questions to establish what's actually going on down there, then they'll quickly fail and the halo, I think, will, um, will wear off very quickly. Now, one is to look at the nature of these individuals who some people we just happen to find who are good. Another is the nurture part. So the question here is that are we uh, on the mercy of uh, Mother Nature that they, she spins out a uh, number of good leaders on a regular basis, otherwise we'll have a vacuum, or we have a way to build that, those competencies and build those leaders, if you will, for our IT to continue to deliver. So, Alan, uh, what do you think is the case here? Yeah, so uh, I would hold the view, uh, uh, Sanjog, that that I, I don't I, that there isn't a formulaic way to um, you know to to nurture a population of of, of leaders and and. Um, the, the reason I, I, I hold that, that, that view is, that I, I think, twofold. One is, um, uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, the, the days of being able to rise uh, consistently through, you know, increasing scope within a, within a particular industry or within a particular uh, business on the basis of your your mastery of a particular uh, type of, of technology or, or a particular type of technology application, I think is you know is is uh, uh, you know attribute of a bygone era. You know the 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 reality today is that more and more uh, people are uh, quite comfortable with. With, with technology, and you know, my 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 anecdote on that, uh, you know, that my my epiphany on that happened about five years ago, when I got a uh, email from my uh, eight-year-old niece, and uh, it suddenly dawned on me that when I was eight years old, you know, I could barely do block letters, let alone cursive writing, and now I've got an eight-year-old niece who's able to master a keyboard and knows how to you know, how to send a, to send an email. And the, the point of that little anecdote is that there's, you know, there, that, that people are using technology uh, not as a learned skill, but simply as if they're breathing air. And so the, the role of, uh, of, of a technologist 
can't be the steward of of any particular technology, but really has to be the steward of how that technology dovetails with business objectives and and and, and business needs. Right, and so uh, you know that's one reason why I think um, a, a a formulaic approach is 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 probably not the right way to go uh, for for a technology leader. And I, I think the other the other issue is that um, you know great you know great leaders are are really great leaders, and we can debate this point. But really great leaders are going to be great leaders irrespective of what function they happen to represent in a, in a you know in in a business environment. And we're talking about technology today, but I, I would submit that great technology leaders could come out of other functions and other disciplines within an organization. And likewise, great technology leaders could move horizontally, uh, you know, into, into some of those other functions as, as well because the attributes of being a great leader transcend the tech- technology. So, I, so for those two reasons, uh, Sanjog, I, I, I don't think that there's a formulaic way that we can that, that we can as you maybe call it, grow grow a population of IT leaders. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Tim, when we come back, at least from uh, the the stages, let's let's discuss and our explore the developmental stages. Uh, through which some of these people who event- initially start maybe at, uh, in a business role and or in an IT role, but eventually grow and, and build the competencies in themselves so that someone identifies or they themselves see the, uh, a role as an IT leader and eventually assume that position and do well. So what are those, what has been seen uh, based on your experience as you've dealt with multiple uh, CIOs and or step-up candidates for CIOs and how they have been developing themselves. So uh, please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. live in an instant on world mobile and connected to compete you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe introducing enterprise cloud compute services hp solution for managing secure servers storage and networks delivered as a service pay only for what you need create order out of chaos the instant on enterprise is here are you ready start shaping your cloud at hp.com We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit HP.com for answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. All right, welcome back. So, uh, Tim, the question here would be that uh, can we can we look at the different developmental stages that you've seen people go through, uh, and can we compare the the pedigree of of people who you've seen as being successful now versus people who are wannabes and perhaps they don't seem seem to demonstrate the right DNA for the same. Is is the background of any value? Is the background of and has been doing and making any contribution towards this? Um, y- yes, it does. I mean, I, I think that um, when you look at uh, individuals that have been successful uh, in their careers later on, um, I think that there is a correlation um, with success, um, perhaps in your um, uh, in your forties and older, with um, the degree of exposure you had in your twenties to um, uh, situations that, in a sense, put you in harm's way. Um, now, what I mean by that is. Um, uh, situations where you were severely out of your comfort zone, um, working perhaps in a culture that you um, you hadn't worked in before, where you had to um, adopt your own influencing style and take into account um, the people that you're working with that you needed to communicate to in a different way. Um, so, for example, um, you know somebody who uh, might have started in a programming uh, role, and we'll come back to programming as an interesting example in a second. Um, but has perhaps been involved in a um, project rolling out um, uh, maybe an ERP application or maybe something else that's been developed in-house. And in the process of rolling out that application, has had to work with um, development teams in other countries and has had to work with multiple business units um, and business unit leaders in other countries. Uh, And so you're starting to get a um, a problem that is quite a complex problem. It's a multidimensional problem. You've got multiple countries, multiple languages, and particularly with software, you have a high degree of ambiguity about um, what it is the business wants and what it is that you can actually deliver. And you have to try and frame your questions as the leader uh, to try and get the answers that are going to help you develop what it is your client wants. Now, if you're exposed to that kind of, of um, situation fairly early on in your career, and um, I mean, perhaps, you know, in your um, first or second um, uh, role in a programming function, for example, then if you deliver it successfully, and in fact, even if you don't, because you'll learn quite a lot from it, then what you will have acquired very early on is um, an ability to understand how to reframe questions and how to push in an appropriate way in different cultures internationally with colleagues. Now, getting that understanding of how to communicate, I believe, is a um, key skill that you need to have later on in life. And the very best CIOs that we see are people who are extremely good communicators. They can adopt their style uh, later on. So that, that would be, be one example. Another example, I think, would be where you're given um, a, a sort of a great deal of responsibility um, in a line area where um, you might have, um, you, you know, previously you might have had a virtual team reporting into you, and now you've got a, 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 a big fixed team reporting into you. So all of a sudden you've got to figure out how you manage people um, how you do their performance appraisals, how you give feedback properly, um, how you maintain performance, how you deal with poor performers. And the sooner you acquire that um, in your career, the better that's going to be later on. Because I think being able to lead people effectively 
uh, as Alan was um, alluding to earlier on, is, is a really crucial skill set. Um, now, I'll give you a little example of somebody that um, uh, we placed um, a little while ago. Um, it's a big financial services um, business. I won't give you the name of it. Um, it's a big financial services um, company. Um, she is um, a, a very diminutive, um, rather small uh, Asian lady um, who became the um, first uh, non-executive um, d- director of a FTSE 100 company in the UK. It's a very prestigious role. Um, now, she worked her way up through um, a variety of, of roles that had both IT and operational responsibility in it, and um, very quickly um, broadened her experience out. So by the time that she'd been doing IT roles for, um, for 10 to 15 years or so, she was beginning to get other things given to her, for example, uh, retail service and retail operations, call center management, uh, property and procurement responsibility, and she ended up being the, um, the group director covering both IT and procurement and a few other areas um, for a, um, a big uh, retail financial services business. Her next role after that took her straight into a chief operating officer role, and um, we placed her as the chief information officer in a much larger financial services organization. And when I was um, doing the search, um, I asked the chief executive, I said, how will you know what good looks like uh, in this role um, when I present somebody to you. And he said, um, whichever CIO you present to me that I think can be moved off into the business and run a P&L uh, later on, you know, within two or three years of, of delivering what we need here, that would be my characteristic of success. Very unusual, and, uh, and that is now what she's, she's doing. So she's got broader responsibility and some, some P&L. Um, so early on in her career, she had learned to influence and shape cross, cross countries and um, in other organizations. And because she was slightly shorter, and she wouldn't mind me saying this, she doesn't immediately make a big impact when you see her, but um, she introduced agile techniques into this company that she's working for now. And uh, it went down so well that the board of the company asked her to run a um, board-level meeting uh, with the non-execs in an agile fashion. And she got them all to stand up for 15 minutes and ran a a meeting, a board-level meeting for 15 minutes to time covered all the points and it went down very well and she's now been asked to run a transformation program internationally across this organization. That's all down to acquiring really good communication skills early on in her career. So, Alan, when you look at... If I could pick up on um, uh, the first point that that Tim just made about uh, the diversity of experiences, just to give you an example, uh, a practical example uh, that we follow here at, at John Hancock uh, that the listeners may find useful. Uh, I, I 100% agree with, with the point that if you are put in a position where you have to reframe the questions that um, are being, you know, you know that, that are necessary for you to succeed in a new environment, it, 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 it forces you to you, you, to, to be able to confront different problems. And one of the things we do at John Hancock to force that issue is, um, you know, uh, something that we call the reassignment program. And, you know, this was, this was uh, specifically to get at a problem where the IT, the middle management of, of the IT organization was stuck in sort of a time and grade uh, uh, mentality and, 
were really missing the opportunity to uh, you know, diversify their career experiences. And so we created this reassignment program where we took uh, you know, a, a finite number of, uh, of, of, of managers, managers of decent-sized teams of 50, 60 people and so forth, and we simply moved them to a different business unit or a different function. And, and it was a very orchestrated uh, thing. And, you know, we, we did this specifically because we, you know, we wanted to we wanted to break up a, a mode of a mode of thinking. But the what we what we observed the first time we did this, and we, we've now made this uh, sort of an institutional program now, is that when you pull people out and you force them into a new environment where they have to look at what skills uh, you know, that they genuinely have that are transferable and can apply to the new problems, it generates a whole new set of thinking. It creates a lot of innovation. It also helps people realize that, you know, that they're, they're able to solve problems in different contexts, context they didn't even realize that they they could solve, and it, it really gives them a, a boost. Now, you know, I my desire of the, the program at John Hancock's been fantastic, very very successful. We've done it more than once now, but of course, what you really want is people to realize that they need to get this experience on their own. That they have to get themselves out of you know whatever environment they're they're in today and continually diversify their experiences because that's what's going to lead to Tim's second point, which is, you know, people who are nimble, are agile, are able to solve problems in different contexts. And, and you know, that's when, that, you know, it, it's when you can exude that, uh, that confidence so that people believe that they can solve different problems with your, with your capabilities that you're, you're going to start to get those opportunities. Okay? Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's explore the possibility of an organization taking the onus of developing leaders by putting in the programs. But then if they do have a phenomenal program, but they don't have people with the right DNA, what's the expected outcome? And on the other hand, then there are companies who may not have anything particular, and they either get lucky or if they're not lucky, then the IT is doomed. So what is that healthy balance which you feel um, that we can strike so that there is a constant supply of the right type of leadership for the most companies that are out there in order for IT to start becoming successful in a more, on a pr- more predictable basis and most companies are able to make the most of those related investments? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. 
User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. We live in an instant on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP's solution for managing secure servers, storage and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show. Here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Tim, the question here would be is when we are trying to get a constant supply of the right type of leaders, and when I use the word supply, it's not really we need loads of them, but we need the right number so that most organizations can make the most of IT. Where does the onus truly lie? Because we have heard about companies like GE, which is known for building leaders, and then many of those other companies who who really look for people outside and perhaps look for some a company like GE uh, from where they can pull somebody as a leader and help them in their own own organization. So w- what's what's happening in the marketplace in your viewpoint? Uh, with respect to building leaders, are we on our own as IT leaders, or is there going to be a more pervasive uh, awareness around having a program like what uh, Alan mentioned he has in his own organization to churn out the right type of leaders from within as well? Um, I, I think it's a very interesting area there, and I think this is a um, very serious issue for the IT function at the moment. I think, ironically... Um, uh, many years ago, uh, particularly in the 90s, probably the back end of the 80s, um, there were many companies who um, were academy companies in the way that they trained and um, brought through their IT function. You know, Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Mars, um, to name but three, um, uh, Ford, very good. Um, those organizations um, were excellent at um, training up a really good generation of, um, of individuals many of whom have gone on to become CIOs in other organizations. Uh, Now, in a situation where technology is all pervasive and everybody is trying to do as much as they can do online, so, you know, we're intimately connected with technology whether we like it or not, you would think that the IT function, therefore, must be crucially important in an organization and very strategic, and therefore it's worth investing in uh, training and bringing on the next generation. Well, I don't think, and I'd be very interested in Alan's view on this, I don't think there are very many academy companies out there anymore. I, I can't point to uh, very many organizations that invest um, properly in this function. I think that what's happened is that um, with the growth of outsourcing and so on, that um, uh, you find good talent in places like an Accenture or an IBM um, where people are, come in on a structured training program and they learn the fundamentals of program, for example, and project management and other things in there. And then um, after they've been in that organization for um, five to ten years or whatever, they then go off and do a line role um, somewhere else. I think that um, 
organizations need to invest seriously in this area. And uh, one of the things that they can do, I think, um, in terms of training programs for people is to make sure that individuals get international exposure. Um, there are two countries um, where, from the outside, you would think the, techn the technical function must be fantastic. We must hire from these two countries. One of those is the U.S., and the other one is India. Uh, India has a um, great richness of, of technically highly capable individuals, um, but many of, of those have not traveled outside India. The U.S. has a you know, wonderful history of excellence in this function and has generated you know, some of the world's greatest um, uh, CIOs in there, but um, many people in this function um, don't travel outside the U.S. And so getting some exposure to a completely different culture, whether it's Europe, whether it's Asia, um, wherever it is, I think is really important. And, and I don't mean by, by that you know, simply running an operation from your own country that's international, you know, running uh, um, IT infrastructure from London, for example, or, or from New York. That's not what I mean. I mean, if you're an American, going and living and working in India or living and working in uh, Switzerland or France or somewhere else in there um, profoundly changes the way that you approach problem solving and gives you a much better handle on dealing with ambiguity. And those skills are really important when you're uh, persuading and influencing around the boardroom table when you're a CIO. Alan, what triggered the kind of program that you've created or your organization created to nurture some of those diamonds in the rough and, and or hone them to become the leaders that they can become? Well, uh, it's interesting you asked that, uh, that question. And having just mentioned uh, GE just a, a second ago, you know, I'm, I'm a product of that GE environment, spent more than half my, my career uh, coming out of university in that in that in that environment, and uh, you know, the one of the reasons that that I think uh, GE is held up on a list of of companies who are able to nurture and grow leadership talent is that it's embedded in the fabric of the culture of that organization. And I give give you a very specific example that you know when you come into GE as an entry level hire whether that's in the technology function or the finance function and, and you know the HR or the uh, the, te the, the uh, technical sales functions there is a um, you know there's there's a training program that uh, that you that you go into which has its roots going back uh, years. The, the technology management training program, which is still at GE today, was started um, 32 years ago, and it was modeled after the financial management program, which was started about 100 years ago. Right, And so if you imagine you know, how deeply rooted in the culture uh, you, you know, these, these, these training concepts you know, for programs that have existed for a century. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, you, you, your mind's eye goes quickly to this must be really important to, you know, to, to how GE operates. And what happens in these training programs is precisely what we were talking about earlier, which is you automatically get exposed to people who are in different industries, different uh, geographies, uh, you, you know, different continents, um, you know, different. You know, the, the native language is a different nat language than than uh, you know than than your own. And almost from day number one, 
you start to realize that the world is a small, small place, that you need to be able to interact across industries, you need to be able to interact across cultures, across across geographies. And then that that mindset pervades your your early career and then as you become a manager, you start hiring people who have these attributes and then you become a manager of manager and you're holding managers accountable for developing those attributes and it just feeds on it on it on itself. So the, uh, with that as background, to answer your, your 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 question, I think what I feared was that this wasn't happening at John Hancock. That you know people were stuck in a time and grade uh, mentality, and you were climbing a ladder within a very narrow silo, and and people were missing the opportunity to broaden their their view, whether that's to work in a different business unit or. Uh, or to do what Tim just suggested, which is like get out of Boston and go to our facilities. And we have facilities in China. We have facilities in the Philippines. Uh, you know, we have great uh, relationships that we nurture in India. Uh, we have a lot of functions in Canada. But get out of Boston. Go to these other places. It, it changes the way you view problems. Now, Alan, you should have a point of view on this. Um, if I remember rightly, um, uh, didn't you work in Japan for a bit? I did. I did. And, and uh, how that did that, was, uh, you know, what you were know, your learnings from that? How does that change your, uh, your, your viewpoint about this function and, and how to get um, traction in it? Well, you know, that's a, uh, you know, that's a, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, the, the American psyche of, you know, of, you know just full frontal confrontation of issues and problems, very uh, uh, clinical and direct, simply doesn't work inside the Jap- Japanese culture. Uh, you know, Japanese are not direct people. They're, you know, I, I learned the word memawashi. Memawashi is the problem solving through a third party. And, uh, you know, many of the great decisions are made through the concept of of, of, of Memawashi. That's a, that's not anything you're going to learn in, 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 in America. And it, it, you know, once you, once you figure out the power of, you know, how to get things done in that environment, some of the reasons that does work in other cultures. It works in America, it works in Europe, it works in other, other, you know, Latin America and other, other places. It just changed my whole outlook. And, uh, you know, and it wouldn't have done your point, and I wouldn't have done, uh, I wouldn't have gotten the same place if I just swooped in like a seagull, did a project, and left. I mean, that has a certain amount of value, and it's, it's better than not going at all. But boy, living on the ground, boy, that's, uh, that's a real eye-opening experience. I, I agree with you, and I made a mistake um, uh, not so long ago. Um, I was doing a search to put a um, chief operating officer into a bank, a uh, financial service institution in Saudi Arabia, and uh, uh, I, we, you know, we'd, we'd narrowed the candidate uh, pool down, and um, we had a great list of candidates. We thought, and um, the individual that uh, we selected, and I, I thought was going to be fantastic for this, was somebody who had. Uh, never lived and worked outside an Anglo-Saxon environment. So he'd either been in the UK or he'd been in the US, one or the other. And uh, theoretically, he could do the job. Um, But actually, when he went over to that environment, um, it was so profoundly different from anything that he had seen before that his reference points were non-existent. 
And he tried to create his own reference points, and those didn't work for the Saudis. And he only lasted um, about uh, 12 to 18 months um, in the role before they and he decided that it just wasn't right for him. Um, if we had been um, tested a little bit more the cultural affinity around there, then he might have lasted for a bit longer. Um, but I do think that um, in trying to identify what's going to work, you know, to your question around um, maturity models and uh, how do you, you get some guarantee of success, what have organizations got to do to produce outstanding leaders, that I think that um, organizations need to have, in a kind of formal sort of way, an opportunity for their rising stars to go into an environment which they haven't seen before and to learn how to adapt as quickly as possible in that environment, and then perhaps bring them back into the mothership a little bit later on, you know, after 18 months, two years, or a little bit longer. Now, let's take a quick break. Uh, listeners will be right back. And when we do talk about, um, you know, the, the different programs and or different initiatives that companies may be working on, what could be uh, uh, construed as a good and or not as good a program because from a qualitative angle we could give it a lip service or perhaps we put some budget aside to say okay let's do a bunch of training programs etc cetera, etc cetera. but if it is not structured properly if the ac academy is not set properly then the results would be less than stellar so what is it that we should expect if an organization wants to see a leadership uh, maturing through different stages, what is that, that school that should be created in an organization or even outside for it to have the desired results? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit HP.com for answers. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. 
Welcome back. So, Alan, based on what you just created in your organization, and it seems to be working, do you have any suggestions on anyone else who is going to try to do it just by getting inspired by listening to this show or otherwise? What should be done in order for that program to be successful? And even as we were talking during the break, uh, something radical has to happen here. Not, you know, same old, same old and expect new results. What's, what's new that you'd like to see happen in this so-called academic, to build an academy of, to churn out the right level of IT leaders? Yeah, so when I think of a, when I think of a, an academy, I, I think in the context that you're, that you're, you're asking, it's, uh, it's not so much about a school, if, if you will, or a particular ladder of, uh, training or a particular um, you know, checklist of, of ex- experiences, but what I when I think of uh, academies and I think of the companies uh, like we were talking about a moment ago, like the GEs of this world that 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 create these these uh, these great leaders, it's it's about having. Uh, you know, a a pro a programs in place that seek to get people experiences where they can use their their talents in different ways to solve different uh, different problems. And there's so many different dimensions that you can you can pursue. We've been talking about the international dimension, which in this day and age I think is absolutely uh, vital. I don't know of any significant company in any industry that doesn't have some connection with an offshore or, or overseas um, uh, affiliate or, or vendor or supplier in one one fashion or another. But 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 there's other dimensions. Uh, you you know you you can work on running an operation or you can work on. Uh, new business development and more strategic issues. You can work in larger companies across different business unit lines. Um, you can manage large teams, or you can move into into staff functions. the 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 key, in my my view, the key to success is that there's there's a willingness of the organization to first of all ensure that its people are moving through a variety of, of, of different experiences. And, and, and secondly, there's a willingness of the organization to accept somebody into a role where they haven't done that precise work previously, because I think that's the other missing ingredient in, in this. You know, if, if you want somebody to learn, you can't, you can't just hire somebody or promote them or move them into a role where they've already done that work previously, uh, and 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 you got to get people past that. So those are the two ingredients: it's the willingness to move, in my my view, and it's the willingness of people to accept the fact that when somebody comes in, you're going to have to develop some piece of their competency or or, or knowledge for them to be successful. So uh, yeah, I, I, I would I would agree uh, with those. I mean, I think the the question to ask um, is also of the organisation. You know, what stage is the organisation at? And I think that when uh, my colleague Eric Sigurdsson and I talk about this, um, 
you know, we often think of organizations in one of three phases. They're either at infancy, adolescence, or, or um, adulthood. And an organization where the IT is in, is in infancy, you know, is a place where IT is back office only. There's no partnership with the business. Um, the IT functions often run by the CFO. It's never considered innovative, and there's always a focus on reducing costs. An adolescent organization is one where, you know, IT is beginning to build a reputation. It's delivering against its ROI objectives. It's top grading its IT talent, and it's getting a bit of visibility at the senior level. And an adult uh, organization for this function, I believe, um, is where the CIO has got a seat at that table. You know, he or, him or her is, are, are translating business issues into technology solutions. Uh, they are um, bringing things to the CEO's attention. They're coming up with ideas. They're, they're seeing what um, technology can do to help the business. They're engaging in the strategy side. And also the business is, uh, is recognizing the commercial value of the CIO and adding other things like shared services, supply chain, procurement, and other bits and pieces. So I think that if, um, if an organization is clear where it is, uh, in, its, in its life and, it, and it, its maturity, then IT can fit into that. And in addition to the very good points that Alan was making there, I think the only other one I would add is that it is okay to fail from time to time. I mean, you know, doing a job and stretching yourself means that you're not going to get everything right all of the time. And um, providing that you're learning from mistakes and not repeating the same mistake, then uh, you will be improving as a leader and I think an intelligent organization that is trying to coach and mentor and develop its staff, particularly in this area, will put people in harm's way and will expect them to fail from time to time because that is part of what is going to turn them into being an outstanding leader. I once had a, a um, client who was um, rolling out a big SAP um, program and he said to me, um, look, I want you to find me uh, a program director that's failed three times because by the time they do it the fourth time you know they will have seen everything that's gone wrong on these big international programs and they'll get it right very interesting um in fact one of the examples i remember where somebody told that uh, every every cio and or every consultant who truly turns out to be good is at least someone who got fired from the client site or or from the company where they worked once how true do you think, Alan, that is? Of course, I'm not sure what, what has happened to you or what you've heard from others, but is there uh, an immunity uh, provided to those people who are trying to do the yep. best they can and still, if they fail and if they get fired, the, the doors don't, you know, close on them? Yeah, so, you you know, certainly uh, I'm not I'm advocating to, to take action that's going to lead to you're, you're getting terminated. And, and the reality is, um, you know, if you, you know, part part of what makes a great IT leader is is managing risk. And if if you're taking too much risk, such that you put, you know, aspects of the business in in jeopardy, well, um, that's not good either. You know, but um, you know, I'm I'm just finishing a great book uh, by Walter Isaacson about Steve Jobs. They're very popular right now, but you know there's there's a there's a guy you know who failed his way to fame and infamy, right? Uh, you know many of his early early uh, 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 attempts were 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 gross failures, and yet you know Steve ultimately proved to be he, he one of one of the captains of, uh, of of IT, no matter how you be. Failing is good. Because if you don't fail, you're not taking. 
Um, but to, to the to the point, I think I think one thing people have to have to realize is that you know you have to when you take risk and and it doesn't go as well as you as you want, you gotta realize when to cut your losses and and when to when to think about uh, you know absorbing the learning and moving on to the next to the next challenge and sometimes that can that's hard for people to to realize it requires a fair amount of self awareness sometimes that means that uh, you know you're going to have to uh, consider yourself uh, consider consider yourself looking at a different uh, different company right uh, you, you know get a fresh start based uh, you know based on a fresh outlook uh, you know and not you know and, and not carry the millstone of a failure with you but but you know use use that as uh, you know, a basis for why you would be a great problem solver in the next place and uh, yeah I, I agree with that because I because I, I think you can also draw energy from that um, there's a very good book written by a guy called Tim Harford um, called Adapt, you know, Why Success Always Starts with Failure. And, um, you know, if you've had a problem and something hasn't worked out the way it should have done for you, uh, you know, Alan's right. I mean, you can always move somewhere else where the environment is going to play to your strengths. But I also think that um, you can draw energy from some of these things. Um, I don't want to sort of be over-focused on failure here. It's just that um, in order to be successful in this role, you're going to take some um, cul-de-sacs here and then. You're going to go down some roads that aren't going to lead anywhere. Those are okay, providing you don't do it all of the time and you, you manage risk properly. But those are important because that's how you're going to uh, learn how to adapt, to um, probe ambiguities, and to be equipped with better questions so that you are a, a better leader of this function in the future. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you so much, uh, Alan and Tim, for sharing your thoughts. It seems like that there may not be a rule book and or a uh, structured leadership model, leadership maturity model, which will lead these individual organizations as well as individuals to the, the predictable, successful leadership role. But definitely the environment does matter, and there is an appeal to the individual organizations that they should set up some programs and also to an appealing to the individual leaders that they have to take the time to go internationally if possible and get the right type of exposure. Thank you so much for your thoughts again, both Tim and Alan. Thank you very much. Brilliant Thank job. you. And uh, listeners, if you have any comments or questions, send us to views at ciotalkradio.com. That is views at ciotalkradio.com. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next break, take care and uh, God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sunjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio.